0: Okay, three, two, one. Uh, This is Arthur Schwartz. Uh, My podcast is Pursuing Justice 2021, which is my substitute for advocating for justice on the radio, WBAI. And we are blessed this morning uh, with the presence of Harvey Epstein, the renowned assembly member from way to the east of where I live, uh, good morning, Harvey. How you doing? Arthur, uh, thanks.
1: Thanks for having me. How are you?
0: Okay, so you've had a you've had a wild. I think it's. I mean, I only, I only can read the the, you know, the reports from. <clears throat> I don't get reports from my assembly member. So, but I get reports from whether it's Citizen Action or uh, Working Families Party or. Uh, other groups, you know, who are monitoring what's going on in the Capitol, various coalitions that the New York Progressive Action Network is a member of, about um, what um, what's going on in the Capitol. So, this this year, it seemed to me, maybe we could just talk a little bit about the the general tenor um, with the governor under such fire between the nursing homes and the sexual harassment stuff and the favoritism for. Friends and relatives and donors to get testing and vaccines. How how does that change the tenor up in Albany?
1: I don't know. It's hard to tell what was deciding factors here this year, Arthur. I think the governor. You know, there were some serious, probably illegal activities going on in the last couple of years of governor's office. Whether it's the nursing home cover up, whether it you know with the sexual harassment allegation with like you said, friends and family, uh, whether it was using government time to do work on a private book deal and forcing uh, public employees to work on it. There's a, there's a lot of questions that are going on there, uh, which I don't have answers to. At the same time, the first time we had a supermajority in the Senate and a lot of new senators and assembly members, uh, both on the assembly side and the Senate side who are progressive allies, So I think it was just a confluence of all the above that strengthened the hand of the legislature. And the organizing from advocates came together in a moment where we asserted our power in the budget process.
0: And how how did that change it? Like, well, I mean, last year there was a supermajority, but it was kind of a bizarre year, right? The budget was... Well, the Senate
1: didn't have a supermajority, only the Assembly did. 2020. I forget.
0: It feels like a million years ago, right?
1: It does. I mean, it was a very different tenor last year before the election. We were people were worried that the, those concerns. We were doing things that were progressive in nature. That Democrats might lose its majority in the Senate. People were worried about losing seats in the Assembly, and the opposite happened. We kept our 107 seats in the Assembly. We picked up seats in the Senate. We have 43 Democratic Senators and we have 107 Democratic Assembly members. We have a two thirds majority in both houses. And after November, people were very empowered to move forward on the agenda that we were all elected to, do, which was to tax our rich, you know, invest in our services, invest in our New York. And uh, it was, uh, I think, a really unifying effort through the organizing from the outside and the organizing from the inside.
0: So one of the, uh... You know, the great stories of Albany in prior years is that um, the budget was three men in a room or three people in a room, I guess, last year. Was that the same this year or was the legislature far more involved? I mean, there were still negotiations
1: of three-way negotiations, which were leadership in each of the bodies. And I think that happened, but I think there was a lot more democratization of the process where there was a lot more engagement to the rank and file compared to the old days when Shelly Silver was the speaker. I think we were a lot more engaged and we had an opportunity to push back on issues we cared about. And I, so I think that was a really big change both on the assembly and the Senate side. And I think that allowed us to be able to uh, unify amongst the two houses around our value systems. I mean, if you looked at our one house budgets in the assembly and the Senate, they were pretty unified. We stuck pretty closely to what we wanted in the one house. We Came down on the new resources of revenue by not doing some of the ideas that we had, like my resident debt tax. But a lot of the things that we were pushing for in the each one house, we got in the end. We got $2.1 billion for excluded workers. We got a $1 billion for rent relief for small businesses. We got $2.4 billion rent relief for uh, residential tenants. We got money for CUNY and SUNY. We're closing the tap gap. We made a three-year commitment to fund foundation aid, and we put $1.4 billion aside for it. We, we stuck to what we stood for and it was pretty impressive.
0: One of the things that um, struck me is that in, in prior years, almost every, except for early 20, I guess it must've been early 2020, um, well, it may have been early 2019 when there was a bunch of um, um, election law reforms that were enacted most of the agenda of the legislature got stuck in the budget, right? Even if it, if it had the slight, if they could say, oh yeah, we're gonna have to spend $10 printing the bill, then it was a budget matter. Um, and this year there seemed to be a bunch of action in the weeks leading up to the budget on a number of issues. How, how did that, How did that play out? Yeah, I think we did almost marijuana reform, which is a, which is theoretically a, you know, something, unless that was part of the budget, but, but there was stuff that was going on before.
1: Yeah, I mean, the governor proposed it in the budget, and we, we voted on it, and passed it prior to the budget being enacted. And I think there was a, there was a sense that we wanted to take as much policy out of the budget as possible. There was some things that were, were in the budget, like you know, online gambling, you know, people that was ended up in the budget, but most of the policy issues that we were focusing on were taken out of the budget. So it allows us to do our legislative job, do things that are policy in nature outside of the context of the legislative budget. So I think that was a huge victory that allows us to go through the next, you know, two months of our legislative session and pass important policy issues, you know, and not just to get locked into a budget where we are in a unequal bargaining position and if we work on legislation people know there's a lawsuit that happened a while ago called silver v pataki and that gave the governor almost exclusive power to negotiate the budget he has to introduce it only he can amend it and if he rejects it we can't do anything about it so that law now that court case it becomes you know a constitutional law in new york really hamstrings us in the context of the budget. So we try to pull as much out of the budget as possible so we can pass it, and then we put it on the governor's desk to sign or to veto. Now we can see with the Halt Solitary Confinement Bill, it was a legislation that he didn't support. He opposed it you know, for years, so eight years in the making. And at the end of the day, he signed the bill because we did it out of the context of the budget. We passed the bill we wanted, and then we got it done and I think it shows our legislative power and shows how we have really changed the conversation because we have a two-thirds majority in both houses. And I think the governor knows if he vetoes it, we have, to, we have the votes to override. He doesn't want us to override.
0: Did, um, and in the assembly, I mean, and in, in Hiesty basically is going along, Carl Hiesty is going along with um, his new more radical majority of, assembly members? I mean, I think
1: Carl's trying to, you know, I think what Carl is a consensus builder and he's trying to get, things can get 76 votes. And if you have a legislature where you have 15 conservative members, but 30 progressive members, they have to go where the votes are. You know, we're pushing hard on the progressive side to pass legislation that's progressive in nature. And I think he's smart enough to know um, that we can't just stop bills like halt had 85 co-sponsors that bill was going to pass passed with 101 votes i mean that's a two-thirds majority so like there's enough energy to pass those bills i think that's the logic of it is like not just you know i think carl believes in halt and i know carl believes in criminal justice reform but at the same time he's he and she's going to ensure that he's his body which is becoming more and more progressive every day uh gets to adhere to the values that they have. On the tax increases, we got $4.3 billion in new taxes. That's because we've been pushing from day one to raise revenue. It wasn't just raising revenue to, for the sake of raising revenue. It was raising revenue because we had underfunded government for decades. In the 10 years of uh, Cuomo administration, we had underfunded everything. And so this is an attempt to, to right the ship, to start going in a better direction and to have the real revenue we needed to do that last thing I'll say is in times of crisis, what do you do? You have to invest. You know in New York in their 30s, what did they do? They built public housing and they built Brooklyn College. And you know in times of crisis, investing in our future is what makes sense. And I think what we'll see because of it between the federal investment and the state investment, we'll see New York come back strong because we are now investing billions of dollars in the schools, in our infrastructure, in our public housing. And that will make a difference for the future of the city and the state that we live in.
0: So let me let, let me follow up on that because it, it's interesting. As you know, I'm running for city council, and I have. We probably agree on this, although I've never asked you. Uh, I, I've basically said that Mih mandatory inclusionary housing is not a poly, relying on the p- private sector to build affordable housing is not. It hasn't been viable, and it's never going to be viable. the The private sector is not interested in, in making New York City more affordable. In that, and I've been saying that the public investment in affordable housing, capital investment, not you know, building affordable housing, spending the money on, on uh, fixing NYCHA, uh that doesn't come from private developers, um, is really the road forward. And some of the mayoral candidates have actually, I I, I say. Maya Wiley adopted my position. She came up with a $10 billion plan for capital investment in housing. Um, what, what 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 kind of investment in housing is the, um, the, did the legislature come up with this year? I would say this one of the failings
1: we had this year was not a real commitment to investing in housing. We put $200 million in for public housing and the capital budget. I voted against the capital budget that because of that. The, the Penn Station $1.3 billion boondoggle the governor's trying to push forward. I don't think that's a good plan. I don't, I mean, I want to invest in Penn and whatever, but eight office towers of commercial use that's going to destroy a section of Manhattan makes no sense. Um, uh, we didn't, you know, the, we're in the f- uh, fifth year of a five year housing plan. So the governor didn't introduce a new five year housing plan. The expectations that it'll be introduced at the end of this year and trying to deeply invest in, uh, The future of housing, I think is something the state has to do. We didn't invest in, um, we only put $200 million aside to help convert buildings from commercial that are underutilized commercial spaces to residential. We could have done a deeper, uh, more committed investment there. And I I look forward to doing that in the upcoming year. I'll just say one thing about mandatory inclusionary housing because we may slightly disagree here. I actually, my problem isn't with mandatory inclusionary housing, my problem is with as of right development. So we have it as a right zoning structure in New York. And basically we're saying, you have a right to build as long as you build within the FAR and you don't have to give any back, anything back to government. But we could have a structure that says, well, you don't have a right to build, but if you want the, uh, the luxury of building in New York, before you start building, you have to build affordable housing. You have to make a commitment upfront, no money in, no obligations forward. You have to build affordable housing, uh, whether it's 10%, 20%. And then we layer on that. If you're do, you want to do that, you want to, Want additional FAR bonus, then why are we stopping at 20%? Why is it not 40%? If you want tax breaks, why is it not 50 or 60%? Like, I think we start with the idea that landlord can just build as a right in New York. And I think it's a huge mistake. And I think we, if we got rid of it as a right zoning, and then we started using mandatory inclusion and housing on every project everywhere across the city, instead of just using it as a tool to increase FAR and development, I think that would be a powerful tool for New York
0: on the schools let's talk about the schools what what was the so for the the campaign for fiscal equity case I think the court of appeals ruled in 2006 that the schools were underfunded and I guess uh, maybe you could explain how that resulted in foundation funding and then what happened between 2006 and 2021
1: yeah so that's a really good question there's a uh, there was a lawsuit that, and probably Robert Jackson's the first, best person in New York to talk about this. Uh, Senator Jackson was a, was a plaintiff in the lawsuit in 2006 and then walked to Albany uh, in, in, in trying to push the issue of uh, uh, campaign fiscal equity, people call CFE funding. But I mean, the Court of Appeals basically said the stages underfunded our schools and had at that point uh, a billion-billions-of-dollar debt. To, to the school systems and basically the formula they use was saying you need to ensure that you're giving at least this amount of money in state financing because schools that are in better economic shape because they get money from property taxes are, are you are allowed to have better schools and the resources are better and you are not doing your job to ensure high quality education for all our students. But and, you know, 2000 they started started a commitment in 2006 and 2007. 2008 hit, and everything went to, you know, with a crash. Everything went south. The governor Cuomo didn't live up to his commitment. And here we are, 15 years later, saying we owe our students still four billion dollars, and we made the first down payment this year of 1.4 billion dollars and a three-year commitment to to fully fund it,
0: which means. Was that number basically the cumulative amount that hadn't been paid since 2008?
1: It's the, what it would be in today's dollars of money that they said was underfunded through our schools. Because we did, we, over the years, we've given more money to Foundation Aid. Uh, two years ago, I think we gave $600 million. Last year, we gave nothing. Um, so we've been constantly increasing the money amount, but we're still behind. So this catches us up. And so, like, the example is people have percentages in each school, but like, what percentage of this uh, CFE are you at? Some schools are 60, 70, 80, 90% of full funding under the CFP formula. Uh, so, we're trying to get every school to 100% funding, which means, you know, for schools, hundreds of thousands of dollars for teachers, and books, and classrooms and libraries and everything that they need.
0: And, it, and, and, uh, and it's in 2000. So, it's not in 2000. Six dollars. It's in two thousand twenty-one dollars.
1: Correct. That's exactly right.
0: Because I I did hear some commentary about people saying, yeah, well, that's what they owed back using two thousand six dollars, but it doesn't make up for inflation. So it so that was taken into account. Yeah,
1: my understanding is this is a current dollar amount because we've people should remember we've increased the money to for foundation aid above beyond the two and a half percent, you know threshold to keep up with inflation you know, not every year but some years along the way
0: great what, marijuana what what's what well all most people understand is it's it's legalized what what did the legislature come up with what's the yeah
1: program so we it's true it's legalized today you can walk down the streets of new york smoking a joint and it's, it's legal um you can't sell it because you can't you need to have a license to go from the illegal what we call gray market to the legal market there are no licenses available for uh, legalized uh, cannabis uh, and the license infrastructure probably won't be up and running for another 18 months but it's not illegal to purchase it um, it's illegal to sell it but the fine for selling it is 50 dollars, you know or something like it's a minimis fine and we're you know what we were trying to do what the whole structure was to say you know this has been a history of uh incarcerating people of color in New York around the and around the country. Uh, we need to look at the historic discrimination and we need to ensure that 40% of the money goes back into those communities to, to reinvest so they can be part of the, the money train that what cannabis will be. So can they open micro businesses storefronts? And so this reinvestment of dollars is a really critical piece of, of the bill that we passed. We call the MRTA that we had at 50% of the time of the bill negotiating with the governor down to 40 percent. 40 percent of the money goes to education which will help not just with the you know the CFE we just talked about but education there can't be a reduction in other funding for education so we have a commitment which we didn't do when we did the lottery which says well it's called maintenance of effort you can't reduce other funding because you've replaced it with this funding which is what happened with the lottery dollars and the last 20 percent goes to research and development and also uh, to help people with addiction issues. There's a lot of questions around, you know, you know what kind of will do to someone who's, will they make them impaired? Can you drive? How can you work? Well, there's a lot of data that doesn't exist out there. For interestingly, even though there's, you know, people have been using marijuana for, you know, centuries. And so like, what is like, if someone's smoking a joint and they're driving, is that, can they, is that a crime? Like, like right now with the breathalyzer test, if you're drinking, you're over, if you're over a certain level, you can get pulled over and you can, you know, get her jailed and lose your license. We don't have that kind of data for marijuana right now. We just need it. And so part of the research will be getting us good information around that.
0: With some of the discussion around, around marijuana, I know in the past has involved having the money that's raised from the tax revenue and the money that's created by, by uh, through the licensing process. I mean, it's going to make some people wealthy, um, and I know there's tons of people scrambling to, you know, get licenses for stores and and sales pr- processes. But there was a lot of discussion about how does that get channeled back into the communities that were mostly impacted by the unfair application. Right.
1: So we've in the in the bill that we passed the MRTA, I mentioned the money, but also requires licenses to go to micro businesses and micro entrepreneurs. So the guy, the kid selling, you know, weed on the corner on my block will be able to get a, you know, maybe he'll get a a license to open a storefront. Maybe he'll get a license to be a distributor. Maybe he'll be a license to to do something else within the industry. You know, that will give people some real uh Economic opportunity. There's also personal, you personal use. You're allowed to have six plants in your home, and you're allowed to hold up to five pounds of marijuana in your home. So there's lots of places where people can start. What?
0: That's a lot of plants. Yes, I'm a gardener.
1: Only six six plants. So you'd have to. I thought you said six
0: pounds. Okay.
1: Five pounds is a legal limit. The six plants. So you couldn't have eight plants and 10 pounds. It would that would not be legal. So it just allows you to grow home, you know, homegrown efforts and allows people to kind of have a lot of these micro businesses get off the ground. And I think that's a really important part of this is letting people who are in the gray market get into the legal market as long as they are given the pathway through. And that's what all these micro licenses is gonna be.
0: Rent relief. What, what's the, what is the program for rent relief? What does it mean? So there's
1: $2.4 billion set aside, which basically says, if you're a tenant, our first criteria is 50, below 50% of area median income or AMI. If you're making below that, you're, you get in the first tranche. You can apply and get in early. The next tranche is above 80% of AMI, under 80% of AMI. And there's a third $100 million for people who are between 80% and 120% of AMI, to separate a little $100 million. Um, so if you can apply, let's say you have rent arrears, you know, you have a year's worth of rent, government will pay your rent arrears for one year. And as long as you're fit within the criteria, you'll be done. You'll be you will pay your rent arrears and you should be able to just move forward with your life. If people are still economically distressed with their provision, we can say, we're gonna pay up to additional three months of people's rent, so total of 15 months. Uh, and so people can then be able to get on their own. This is an idea that with people spent the last year, really difficult situation economically, we're gonna give you a year of your rent if you follow the economic criteria and you'll be able to get back on your feet and then you should be able to go back to work and do the thing you need to do. It's a really important thing for keeping the 1.3 million tenants who are behind on their rent, uh, get them up to date. And
0: is it is it gonna to apply to commercial tenants too?
1: So we have a separate billion dollars uh, set aside for commercial t- tenants. Um, and what we decided is I had a bill focusing on rent relief for commercial tenants. And what we heard across the state was rent relief is a critical thing in New York City, but other businesses around the state had other needs. And so what we've done is put a billion dollars and for businesses that are have a hundred or fewer small employees with a concentration of people with 10 or fewer, as well as a MWBE um, minority women business owned. Um, Get priority in that category. And they can do rent, they can utilities, they can do personnel. It's much broader. It's not just focused on rent, it's focused on the larger needs of the business, uh businesses themselves.
0: And how does that differ from what people got under PPE? I mean, my own business got two PPE um allocations, thank God. Oh, so you'd be
1: eligible basically what you do is you apply for the relief. You talk about you had approved between 2019 and 2020 that you have a reduction. In revenue. So let's say you made a million dollars in 2019 and in 2020, you made a half a million dollars because you're some, you know, whatever your business is, you've just lost a lot of your customer base. Then you can apply for relief for the criteria. You could apply for rent, you can apply for utilities, you can apply for personnel expenses. Um, and so that's a direct cash relief. We've also put $200 billion aside for specifics dollars $40, $40 million aside for arts and cultural institutions. They're really targeting different populations along the way. And there's also $50 billion set aside for tax credits. So if you bring, in a, you bring in a, an employee back or a new employee, you can get up to $5,000 per employee, up to $50,000 for, for the entire business. So there's money, cash, and then there's tax benefits going forward.
0: Now that that program for the businesses, I'm gonna come back to, to, to residential tenants. Is that the, when the feds are in it, it, it <coughs> so you had to apply through a bank.
1: This um, you there's no bank application, you apply straight through the Empire State Development Corporation, and they will be drafting an application hopefully in the next four to six weeks, and then businesses apply directly to them.
0: Now, with respect to residential tenants, can a landlord I'll tell you, I have a I have an interesting situation I was involved in, you may have read a story in New York Magazine or in the New York Post. Um, somebody had a uh, Airbnb person who was supposed to stay for a month. She's now there almost two years and had a an eviction warrant um, that was uh, to be effectuated March 30th last year. And the governor froze all evictions on March uh, 15th. So she's had this... Uh, the reason the the, the the I think the article in New York Magazine was the grifter from hell, um, and but the person is still living there, and I'm sure it could give two hoots about whether her the person she owes money to gets paid. Can the so my client, who's theoretically a landlord, right? Because when she locked her out, she went to L and T court, and the judge put the person back in. Um, could, can the landlord apply directly for that money if the tenant? So,
1: so, of the $100 million I mentioned, for people above 80% AMI, below 120% AMI, is the money for uh, for landlords or tenants who uh, vacated. Make what? Vacated, the, like they, they didn't pay and then they left. So, depending on how this plays out, that your client, your person could potentially apply for that pot of money.
0: Right. She, she asked me and I said, I have no idea. So Um, that's that's that hundred
1: million dollar pot that she sounds like she might be eligible for.
0: um, Solitary confinement. What was the Mm. what what was the? I I had to scratch my head a little bit. Um, Solitary confinement. What what was the limits that were put on it in the? Fifteen days uh, in a row, and no more than twenty days in a sixty day period. So it didn't abolish solitary confinement. It just made it. 60 days out of everything. Right. 20 so, days it should probably,
1: you know, the United Nations that passed with, you know, probably called, you've heard of the Mandela rule and that basically the Men, these are following the Mandela principles set forth by the United Nations.
0: So it's, uh, so I didn't, I didn't realize that the United Nations found any solitary confinement to be. Uh, yeah, this
1: is what they, this is, this obviously after Nelson Mandela it's been 20, what, six years in solitary. This uh, was named after him and it basically says. You know, after 15 days, it becomes cruel on a human punishment.
0: So that's now the rule in New York. That is the rule in New York state. Um, what do you, what's coming up? What do you see is coming up? In the uh, on the housing
1: front, I think there's some good legislation, to uh, strengthen rent regulation. I have an accessory dwelling unit bill, which I'm trying to get done this year, which allows um, those accessory dwelling units to become legal. There's a pilot project in East New York and in, uh, in Brooklyn and we're trying to do it statewide, getting some really good uh, uh, movement on that. So that's hopefully looking at doing some mitchell reforms working, trying to prevent some mitchell opt-outs and looking longer term around a new mitchell program. program um, on the housing front, on the election front, we're gonna look at more election reforms, trying to get on the ballot to allow absentee ballot without cause extending the hours of early voting and you know, those are things that there we have redistricting which is coming up this year which is going to affect all of us with you know new districts for all uh, congressional state legislature and council districts so we'll see a report by the you know the census bureau probably september and by the end of the year we'll have probably a plan for new districts uh, for the. for the, state and federal reps we may lose two congressional one or two congressional seats so that's gonna obviously have impact on the redistricting conversation uh, yeah,
0: Okay, you know, absentee balloting without cause did that was the rule last year was that not continued for 2021
1: it is for 2021 uh, well it's cause you have to say i have a covid related reason to vote out by absentee
0: but last year they sent out the applications. I haven't gotten one yet this year, so I'm not sure. So yeah, you have
1: to, but you have to, you have to check off. I'm seeking an absentee ballot because I have a concern around health or COVID related reasons. Um, We're still doing that this year, but we need just to have no excuse absentee ballot. We don't need a reason to vote absentee. Um, I think we just want to let people vote absentee.
0: Um, But when they, when the board of elections sent it out last year, uh, was that, pursuant to the statute or was that the governor? it was
1: pursuant to the executive order and the statute. First the executive order and the statute
0: we passed. And so they're supposed to send it out this, I'm just wondering, because absentee- I don't ballot. know,
1: I don't think the statute requires them to send it out. I think they do for certain populations, but it re- allows you to apply for an absentee ballot with uh, without, um, you have to check off saying, an absentee is i either I'm worried about COVID or I'm worried about other people getting exposed
0: to COVID. All right, you were gonna tell us some more stuff on the agenda.
1: Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the I think post budget, obviously, the revenue stuff is behind us. There's a lot of work we're doing on higher ed, and have you seen uh, around the for-profit schools? Uh, you know, for-profit institutions in New York are three percent of the student population, but 47 percent of the default rates. We're trying to, you know, we're trying to uh, impact changes to the for-profit institutions to ensure that they, you know, are not, you know, doing a a bad job educating mostly young people of color in our in our city in our state. Uh, so really some reforms around uh, that. Environmental, the CCIA, which is uh, you know making sure polluters pay for the environmental hazards are committed to. We passed what's called the environmental bond act in the budget. So it will be on the agenda to vote next year. But this year we're going to have to you know try to figure out how we can do much more advancements in our in our environmental platform, focusing on uh, publicly available charging stations, as you know, the one of the largest causes for green has emission in New York and around the country are cars and uh, there are no publicly available charging stations anywhere in New York City, zero. So if you had a plug-in car, I have a plug-in car, you can't plug it in anywhere, publicly. you have to pay for a private garage, you, there's no place on the street, there's no, like there's one place in Brooklyn you can go to Whole Foods and park in their parking lot. Um, uh, so we just need to, if we want people to move to electric vehicles in the next five to 10 years, we need to make sure the infrastructure is in place and working on that is a a critical piece.
0: And I'll ask you one last question and then let you go. Uh, On environmental stuff, um, last year there was some commitment to to, um, um, reducing uh, carbon emissions by, I don't remember what date. Um, 2035. Is was there any work done on that yet in this session of the legislature?
1: Well, what we did was we passed the environment. We we set the environmental bond act to the to the voters for next year, and we uh, put money the environmental protection fund. We put three hundred million dollars to to do environmental protection related activities. Uh, those are two things. Uh, we're going to need much more. And then the CCIA is a real commitment to making sure the polluters pay. Uh, we do a little, but I think there's a lot more policy we can do post budget.
0: Thank you so much, Harvey. Um,
1: Thank you, Arthur. Good you luck are. with everything. I see you out, see you out and about doing all your good work. So,
0: I I've been trying. Uh, I've I've actually gotten to the point where I can, I get calls from the general counsel of the MTA and the transit authority saying, "Okay, what's on your agenda this week?" Uh, um, it, it's been a good year dealing with the uh, MTA New York City Transit Authority. Yeah, and, um, yeah if, if if Biden's right and we get this money for infrastructure
1: that Schumer wants, then we could talk about making all stations accessible in the next five to ten years, which would be a huge win.
0: And and one of my big one of my big platforms is also that the New York City transit system, the buses and subways. Uh, the Times reported last week that it's the most heavily, it relies most heavily of any system in the country on fares. Uh, and it didn't used to be that way. Right. Uh, and, you know, I- It doesn't I, have I, to be that way, right? I talked at a recent thing, even as late as 2000, the fare was like a dollar and 90 cents. And, uh, and, now, and now it's $3 um, and- Yeah, it's and, a regressive
1: tax. It's a regressive tax, right?
0: And it particularly hits working people and it particularly um well particularly hits working people because that that's six you know whether whether they spend uh you know six dollars a day on getting to work um it's a it's a a large sum of money and the both the state and the city have responsibility in my opinion to to kick in more money into the operating budget, not just the capital budget. I mean, the system needs capital repair bad, badly. I think that the the infrastructure, the 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 bill that the 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 COVID relief bill puts some money into capital programs. You know, I stood with Chuck on the corner of Fourteenth and Sixth a couple of weeks ago about elevators, and um, you know, and he was like, "We guess gave you guys four point six billion dollars. Use some of it to build elevators." Um, but, uh, but the, the state government, it's just like schools, you know, um, transit, I, I adopted a slogan from the late Jimmy McMillan, the fares are too damn high. Uh, that's one of my slogans in my campaign. So, uh, but I think that that's a, that's a goal of the legislature, you know, it would be a good thing for the legislature to look into greater funding for the operating budget, not just coming out of fares or gadgets. I mean, even if congestion prices- did,
1: Don't forget, Arthur, we did that real estate tax that goes straight, straight to operating no. money for the MTA.
0: And it's still, but it's still, it still is, isn't, is doesn't- It um, doesn't cut it. Doesn't yeah. cut it. And, uh, you know, we put money into schools, we put money into the police, we put money into fire, we put money into sanitation. And then we say, oh, people pay fares to get on the subway, they can pay for it. Um, and uh, right. you know, it's 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 an issue that it didn't used to be that way when I was a kid. You know, I'm I guess I'm about 15 years older than you. Uh, you know, and I paid 15 cents to go to high school when I didn't have my bus pass. I, st- I still paid 15 cents to go h- halfway across the Bronx to go. You know, to the movie theater. Um, you know, it was a, the, the percent of increase is far greater than the rate of inflation. And um, you know it's it's an issue that we we state and city people all need to deal deal with, and hopefully uh, we'll know on June. Well, we won't know on June twenty second because between um, between the oh, yeah another, right choice by early July, right? You know, last year last year with as you recall, when we were you were trying to see whether there was going to be a supermajority in the Senate. Uh, it took till August for the ballots to be counted um, because the talk about another area of major reform that's needed. Our, our elections board of election system, yeah. we whatever have many counties we have in New York 50 um, Each with a separate board of elections, each with a bureaucracy, each which doesn't function well. Um, you know, and now adding on in New York City ranked choice voting, I would not be surprised if a lot of elections, we don't know who won in the city council until like the end of July or early August, I would not be shocked. And um, it really is gonna depend on the number of absentee ballots that come in, uh, at which they count after they count all the other ballots. Um, and um, yeah, we'll see, you know. Uh, oh. Well, good luck with that. And I'm sure I'll speak to you soon, okay? All right. Thank you so much, Harvey. Thank you, Arthur.